Today on the show, we're talking about Dave Ramsey and his baby steps to getting out of debt. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm your host, and today I am joined with Michael and Trevor. And today, today I'm kind of excited about what we're talking about. If people aren't familiar, so Dave Ramsey is a radio personality uh, in, this, in, the, in the United States, but he, he puts his radio show on uh, iTunes as a podcast. And so anybody can download it and listen to it. A lot of it has a lot of U.S.-based material, you know, IRAs, Roth IRAs, healthcare concerns, things that maybe our, us Canadians aren't too concerned about. But he, he has a philosophy and he has a, I don't know, a shtick. You know, he's kind of has a this this southern sort of old boys club type of mentality. Uh, but, but he has a, a plan for helping people get out of debt. If you're seeking financial independence, you're probably on getting out of debt. Maybe not though, but so this could be meaningful to our audience. I hope it is. So today we're kind of going to look critically at um, Dave Ramsey's seven baby steps. And um, Cherik, do you want to kind of talk a little bit about, about these, about the steps and just about kind of why we're broaching the subject today? Well, well, the one thing he talks about, so he talks about baby steps as you have to take baby steps to get to fix your problem. You, you you can't just take a giant leap and hope it hope it works out. So it, it it's done through these incremental you know little steps and measuring your progress. And I I know none of us are struggling with debt problem, but I I think can you guys appreciate that the helplessness you might feel if you were in debt? I think I think for anything like not not even debt. I, I think if you're you're taking a problem, you got to do it step by step because the the big picture can seem really daunting. But it, if you just do one little thing and, and you work on like the little wins, I think that's so key. But but you need to know that these little steps are going to lead you to the right place, to the right. Yeah, goal, yeah for sure. Right? Like I I think you do. But like if you're if you're just focused on that end thing and and that's what you're you're worried about. Like if you're not thinking the stepping stone effect, then I, I think that's 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 pretty daunting. I think so. I agree. But but if 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 you just came up with your own stepping stone, you know your own baby step. And you weren't sure if it was going to lead you down the right path. You'd want a coach or something behind you saying, "Yeah, yeah, that's the right direction." Oh, for sure. I think it's definitely a lot more motivating and enticing, and 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 really something that you'll stick with if you know that other people are kind of following along the same path, and and this path has worked for other people. So I think that these uh, the kind of seven steps, or any kind of any proven seven steps, are definitely for anything like Mike's saying is definitely something you're going to follow. You know, a good example is just say you're trying to get in shape, and you go to the gym. And you start working out on machines and stuff and you don't know if they're going to help or how many reps you should do or how much weight you should lift. Having a personal trainer would really motivate you to say, okay, I'm doing the right thing. Oh, for sure. Definitely. So here's one thing I've done where, where it's, it's worked is I, I used to I used to run 5K. I'm, I'm actually getting back into running. And there's a program I got on my phone. It was called Couch to 5K. And it walked you through sort of the intervals you know of running walking running walking and it would just step you up and it would get more and more challenging every time you went out before you know it, you're running 5k but if you just went out and randomly tried to run and walk and not knowing how much you should run you might you might run too much and get discouraged you might run not run enough and never get to your 5k goal so i think having a a coach or a proven system behind you to get to your goal is critical i do want to ask though i mean both of you two, some people out there might be kind of the all-in type. Um, I know we kind of, uh, this isn't a health or nutrition podcast, but some people say that when you cut sugar out, 
he had to go cold turkey in order to be kind of maximize the effectiveness. So do you think that there are some people are your are yourselves like this where you have to go all in all at once? Well, you know, all in, I think once you, if you get a coach, so Dave Ramsey is kind of like a money coach, you have to be all in on the coach. You can't do a little bit of what he they say and hope you achieve your goal. I think you got to take it step by step. You have to be all in to the objective you're trying to get to. Like you can't just say, I kind of want to get there. But like you, when, if you're determined to get there, you, you got to look at it and, and, and know, okay, let's take this bite by bite instead of trying to take the whole thing at once. No, I, I agree. So uh, I, I do want to bring up an article that we kind of found for today. It is by um, Trent Ham from thesimpledollar.com. It is one of our go-to favorite websites. We're kind of finding really great articles on personal finance. We'll have it in the show notes. Definitely highly recommend checking it out. We do cover a lot of Trent Ham's Ham stuff here on the podcast. But and I, well, I just want to mention that, that there's no connection between Simple Money Solutions and the Simple Dollar. You know, the only connection is we both happen to use the word simple. Yeah, but again, it's simple. It's very when it comes to personal finance, I think we can all agree that simple is definitely the way to go. Um. So anyway, yeah, this article today is called "Deconstructing Dave Ramsey," and Trinham kind of leads in by giving some background on Dave Ramsey and kind of how he how he got to where he got. Um. Just a little note here. So. Um, the 1980s, Ramsey was heavily involved in the foreclosure real estate market. And at the age of 26, he had a rental real estate port- portfolio worth uh, more than $4 million. So, I mean, at a very young age, uh, Dave Ramsey was able to kind of um, reach kind of his financial independence. He, he declared bankruptcy after that. So he went completely Wait, bankrupt. But, so w- what was the transition? At one point, he had $4 million and then he goes bankrupt. Like what, what caused him to go bankrupt? So, so what caused it was all his... Uh, real estate holdings were highly leveraged, meaning he had borrowed on almost every uh, property okay, to okay. own it. And then when they started calling in the loans during an, uh, I'm, I'm guessing it was a recessionary time, he, he he had to declare bankruptcy. He could not sell the properties fast enough. And then to that's kind of a loans. cheap thing to say, like if you're bragging about that, that's... Well, no, no, no. So he's, he's saying, so once he went bankrupt, he realized all his... You know, okay, the mistakes yeah, he like made. Like he realized that he w- really wasn't worth four million dollars. It was just a yeah, it was a fake yeah. kind of title. His 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 success was a f- yeah. facade, right? It wasn't real. So in some ways, I mean, like y- we always talk about that that people drive around with you know like sixty thousand dollar trucks and they got like these big houses and you think that they're they're super well off when really how, how much did that cost you? How much debt are you in? So assets are not a. a a demonstration of wealth it's it's actually a demonstration of consumption of wealth so that kind of again led like you're saying dave ramsey to kind of really really reevaluate um everything he was doing and, and it would lead him to kind of where he is today so he has a simple message and his simple message is avoid debt at all costs so the his message revolves around what Ham says here as escaping debt in all forms including credit card debt auto loans and even home loans if you can't afford to buy it you really shouldn't buy it and I mean, that's pretty solid. It's pretty hard to disagree with the uh, other than, you know, I, I think buying a home without debt, debt is pretty unrealistic. And I'm, I'm also going to say buying a car without debt is, uh, I'm going to say somewhat irreal, unrealistic, particularly if you're young and starting out. Would you guys agree? I, is I that think that's realistic. I think, uh, I think those are very specific ones where, you, and I think you can manage it easier. I, and I, I definitely agree with the thing, your day-to-day life. I think you should remain out of debt. Like you shouldn't go into credit card debt and stuff. But 
I think you don't you don't buy cars, you don't buy houses very often. So those are things where I think every once in a while when you're doing that, like you said, I think, and I agree, I think it's very hard to do. And and then it's easier to manage and, and see how much debt am I willing to take on. So Dave Ramsey has a formula for owning cars of any kind. He says anything with a motor, you should never have any more than 50% of your annual income tied up in anything with a motor. So a car, an RV, a motorcycle, anything like that. You add the value of all those things up, they should not exceed 50% of your income. So if, so if you own if you make $50,000 a year, you should you should have no more than $25,000 tied up in cars or trucks or bikes or whatever. I would I would agree with that. That seems like a reasonable number. And, and, and to further, he says if you do borrow and he, so he's against borrowing money, but if you do borrow money for a car or, or a tra- you know vehicles of any kind, you sh- it should be no longer than two years, so that's kind of a small window. A two year long. Yeah. Well, we we always say what a three year yeah, window I, for uh, car. I loans? say a three year is so, the max. So within that within that range, so he's saying two years. We're saying three years. I think that that's realistic. But I I, I don't think uh, you can apply that across the board. So if you if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, I don't think you should own a fifty thousand dollar car. Like, I think you have to saw that off somewhere. And I think maybe that's where that's where his message comes from is is kind of go to the one extreme as opposed to the other extreme. So don't borrow as to as opposed to borrowing too much. Well, so he, if you can keep it in, in inside a two year loan, I guess that kind of restricts you in, in, in his sort of parameters. Yeah, so it's like a, it's like a two part equation. Like he, like the between the two things, it'll end up working out where you, it's not going to. I don't think you'd be able to get a fifty thousand yeah, dollar vehicle. You won't cross the yeah. insanity threshold. So. So so yeah yeah so I, I guess if you made one hundred twenty thousand dollars you could you could buy that sixty thousand dollar truck that I'm I'm so you know adamantly against so that that would kind of you know stop people from doing that so we'll we'll kind of jump into reviewing Dave Ramsey's seven baby steps here so step number one is start a beginner emergency fund of uh, one thousand dollars and so the reason he says so I just want to say I've read his book the total money makeover and if you are in debt I highly recommend it if you're not in debt. I think it's a, probably a waste of time. I have a bit of background on these steps. So to build the starter emergency fund, he has a theory that Murphy's Law. So just say you're, you, you have a mountain of consumer debt and, and you're trying to get out of it and, and you start you know, paying it down and all of a sudden your washing machine breaks down. Well, then you have to, if you have no money, you have to borrow money to fix your washer. And then, then say your car needs brakes. Well, if you have no money, you have to borrow money to get the brakes. So it kind of derails your debt repayment strategy if you don't have some sort of emergency fund, because it's not if something will go wrong, it's when something will go wrong. So that that's kind of the theory behind it. A thousand dollar emergency fund, it it will handle most of Murphy Law problems in my world. How about you guys? Oh, I, I think that's like ample. It, this wouldn't more than enough. Well, it, but it would not solve a a job loss, right? It it would. But I, that that would last you out a month. Like I, I think I, at that point you could. I think you could adjust your life within a month and then that way you can you can make plans for the future. So in the reason he calls it I agree with you and the reason he calls it a, a beginner emergency fund cuz a, a fully funded emergency fund and we did a whole show on emergency funds is 3 to 6 months of expenses. Mandatory expenses, not discretionary. So it's pretty hard to disagree with you should at least have $1000 in a bank account somewhere just in case. Yeah, I think I think that's really smart. I, I know actually uh, the other day I was I was kind of making some new savings goals and I figured out my monthly expenses 
and how much extra I had. And then from that amount extra I had, I, I, t- I took a percentage towards my savings goals and I put a percentage towards like a, I called it a contingency fund that I, I think is, it's so smart because you, you don't want to just be down right to zero dollars. No, that's just because something will yeah. go wrong. You just don't know when or what. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think uh, as well is, is like we talk about working towards these goals and, and, and like you said, if you get derailed, that, that, that's such a, uh, demotivating. A, you know, yeah, demo- yeah, it's it's such a kick, you know. So like, it, it's it's almost better like that. You say, oh, I have this 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 fun that I was planning on, and you don't really feel like you're falling away from your goals. You're you're not losing any motivation. It's just this little side obstacle that hey, you were kind of prepared for. Yeah, no, I I think it's it's a must. So a beginner starter, a starter emergency fund of a thousand dollars is step one. And I, I, before we move on to step two, do you believe that there should be anything before the step one? Do you think that if we're if we're talking to someone who maybe doesn't know where to start, is 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 surrounded by a mountain of debt, do you think this is a good, realistic, good first step for that person to kind of t- take on? Well, you know, I think the first step is a documented budget, right? So you know where you stand. You know how yeah. much money is left over at the end of the month. Or maybe the, there is none and you need to make adjustments. So it actually, I think... Well, actually, before the budget, I, I think the key is tracking your expenses. Because how do you know how to set a budget if you don't know how much you're spending? I, I think the key is to, to track the spending and then you start realizing your your weak points in your spending and where you can adjust and whatnot. I, I, no, I agree 100%. So you start by coming up with some sort of... And it's actually a discipline, right? Like to track your expenses. It's not... It's, you have to actually make that a habit oh yeah, yeah absolutely. even with simple simple apps it still is kind of you still you can easily just kind of say oh not today well you can load your yeah you can load your phone full of budgeting apps but if you're not going to open it and actually enter transactions what good is it i find that like if you get like a few days behind on tracking expenses it seems like it, it just goes off the rails like it's just like an avalanche like once it gets going and you, you stop tracking expenses it just uh, it snowballs like I find it's one of those things that you, you have to keep track of every day and if, you, if you're not it's just yeah oh, I know so I know it, I have like the home budget the same app you have Mike and I, I stopped using it for maybe a I want to say three four days and then I just I just said oh forget it I'll I'll pick it up again next month so it, it's easy to, to just kind of lose control and just kind of let it go to the wayside so with my my wife tracks all of our expenses and so if we're at a store grocery shopping or whatever we were out yesterday doing a bit of shopping and I, I've learned that you know if I get in the car and, and and I get in the driver's seat and as soon as I start the car she'll say where's the receipt because she's entering on her phone while we're driving and so I know if it's in my pants pocket it's gonna be hard to get out so I know I, I put it actually I put it in the same pocket as my keys so when I get in the car I reach in my pocket and I go yeah there's that receipt so I pull my keys and my receipt out I hand her the receipt put the keys in the ignition start the car because she wants to enter that receipt while we're driving most of the time when we spend money it is in our financial tracking app before we unlock the front door of our house. So that that that's extreme. Okay, I don't expect people to do that, but that kind of discipline is what what makes it happen. So I, I like saying all that. I, I think it's important to preface that that maybe that that doing kind of more maybe with simpler things such as that budget. It, it's it's not simple, but it can still be challenging. But maybe that yes is a is a better kind of first first step so to mike's point step zero is track your expenses and develop a budget i before we move on to step two i do have one more kind of follow-up question for both of you guys do you think when you are kind of surrounded by a mountain of debt the first thing maybe one would initially think to do 
is is to start saving for something else do you think do you think that's kind of intuitive or do you, do you think it kind of breaks that no it's not intuitive it, it, it's the opposite you would think the first if you have a mountain debt the first thing you do is start you know putting money on that debt rather than starting yeah. a merchant fund it's, it seems like the wrong decision but I, I, once you read the book and you under, you listen to dave ramsey it's it's hard to disagree with it so so he's saying to start saving for other things rather than pay off the debt or is he saying pay off the debt well, well he's saying uh, save a thousand dollars and put it in the bank like an emergency oh, fund. oh okay okay you, yeah okay i see what you you're know, saying make the minimum yeah. payments on your debt because you don't want to be in default but before you even think about paying them off, get a thousand dollars in the bank. Yeah, I can see how that wouldn't be intuitive because I'm just picturing like a debt, like a, if, if you're d- digging a hole, right, and you're you're in that hole, and you're, it's kind of hard to go off and do something else when you're stuck in that hole. It would make more sense to get yourself out of it and then go off. So yeah, I can see how that wouldn't be a very intuitive thing. And I guess that kind of goes back to Trevor. Your first point is why why it can be so valuable to bring someone into your into your life, such as a personal trainer or a money coach, or not even into your life, but kind of reference and ins- and feel and get inspiration from in order to kind of lead your own life um let's let's jump to number two though here so number two of dave ramsey's seven baby steps is start and complete a debt snowball debt snowball paying all off off all debts except for a home mortgage there's two types of, of, of approaches there's the debt snowball and the debt avalanche so i'll talk about the debt avalanche first the debt avalanche is you list all of your debts highest interest rate to lowest interest rate and you tackle the highest interest rate first so mathematically you're going to save more money. It makes sense, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean you're paying off your, your smallest no, debt, no. which I think you'd get bigger wins well, from. Exactly. So the debt snowball yeah. is you list your debts smallest to largest, and you pay them off in that order. So you, you pay off your smallest debt first, and you get a win. You have one less person you owe money to, one less person breathing down your neck. And then e- even if it's the lowest interest rate, you start with the smallest debt first. And then the next next one and next one. And before you know it, you're you're only owing two or three people. It may be a lot of money, but at least you, you're only dealing with two or three angry or, you know, unreasonable people that you owe money to. So the debt snowball is, I think it is the, the philosophy is not sound mathematically, but emotionally, I think it is the way to go. I was going to say, like, if, if I'm in a bunch of debt and, and I'm bleeding you know, what's a little bit more blood if, if, you know, like if one of my other, my, like something I owe more for with a higher interest rate is, uh, is still, you know, I'm still t- like losing blood because of that. I think I'd, I'd rather get the wins and get the momentum going. Like that makes more sense to me. And you know, one of the things he, he, he this is a phrase of his, I love it. He says, go, go at this with gazelle intensity. And if anyone knows what a gazelle is, it's like a, a reindeer in Africa. It's like a, it, it looks like one of our, our deers here. And it, it's a common thing preyed on by lions. And so when a lion is preying on a gazelle, it, 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 it can run faster. Like when it's being uh, stalked by predators, I guess it, it, ha- it, it moves up to like the speed of a cheetah. So it, a gazelle can go like when it's being. So the theory is you're being chased by debt collectors. So you should be, you know, running in a direction with gazelle like intensity. So sounds like you got some experience watching these on YouTube. Or yeah, something. I do watch a lot of yeah. uh, <laughs> nature videos like that. But it, it, I don't even know where I was going with that. But it, it <laughs> run fast, run but fast. Not a, oh, oh yeah, but not away from yeah. the deck. There's kind of more in a positive direction of paying off your debt. The, the whole thing is about higher interest rates. If you're going at it with gazelle-like intensity, you're going to have this 
solved this this debt problem solved in such a small window of time that in the math on a higher interest rate is really not going to make a difference. You know, if you're all in yeah. on this and you're, you're you're channeling all your money into this, you're going to solve this problem in like say two years. Well, how much interest is actually going to collect on a, on a higher interest rate over two years? If anything, these small wins are going to mean more than the the, the the little bit of interest, more interest you're going to pay on a debt. And one thing, paying that higher interest rate is it's going to help remind you of you know, the mistakes you made. It's kind of like a punishment. That's a good point as well, yeah. I, I just kind of want to throw this in here. I, I don't know if this is a good spot to throw it in, but I, I, I kind of was thinking about it the other day, how you can have all these amazing intentions, but the only thing kind of against you at, at this point when you're kind of going through these steps are, is, is time. I mean, you get you get paid kind of every every two weeks or or however you get however often you get paid, and you can kind of I guess it's almost like weight loss too. It's easy to spend the money, it's easy to kind of maybe put on the weight, but then getting rid of the weight and, and paying off debt is all is all based on time. Like you can have the best intentions, but you have time against you. Going back to Trevor's point, as like the, that interest almost is like a penalty, a reminder of why you're not paying this off or why you want to get out of debt is I, I think that time and the amount of effort it takes to do it and the amount of discipline it takes for such a long period of time, I think that's what it's going to help motivate you when you get out of it. You're going to say, wow, that was a lot of effort. I, I don't want to go through that again. And I think if, if you could easily just be like, oh, I want to pay off my debt and it happens. Well, oh, that wasn't too bad. You're going to get back in debt. Like I think it's 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 having to pay that bit of interest and having to have such a long period that's going to cause you not want wanting to do that again. Yeah. I, a lot of a lot of people, they would here, here's a solution a lot of people use is they'll go get, uh, they'll roll all their consumer debt into their mortgage when they renew it and they're only paying like, you know, 3%. Well, did you, did you learn anything from all your mistakes? Did you, did, did you do something, did you learn something that would help change your behavior in the future? No, you were able to roll this into one big debt and, and pay for it over the next 25 years. So I, I, I think you need, to, you need to suffer the consequence of, of racking up debt at high interest rates. And, and it's, it's a reminder, not, don't do this again. You know what, something I find kind of interesting, because I was just thinking like, if I'm saving for something, like I'm setting money aside to, to, to buy something that I'm, I'm, I'm saving up for, is, is you're kind of doing the same thing. Over a long period of time, you're setting money aside and, and it's a lot of discipline. But in that case, you're, you're, you're in control of, of the situation. Whereas with, when you're paying back debt, you're at the, the mercy of, of the creditors. And so it's, it's kind of, I think, like I was just thinking about, like it's, it's, less, it's less freeing. Like you're, you have control of what you want to do. Well, to that point, I know I've heard people say, I'm a great, I'm a horrible saver, but I'm a great payer backer, which isn't a real word, but I've heard that expression. I'm great at paying back, but I'm a horrible saver. The problem with, when you're saving for something, I think it's like this forward-looking, uh, exciting anticipation. You guys, you know, do you get that when you're you're saving toward a goal? Yeah, yeah like it, it's something you're you're like I, you're looking forward to doing. I know what like, you're saving for. You've told me you're, you're saving up to buy a a kit to build a canoe. And, and yeah, yeah, and that's exciting because you can you can read books on building canoes and think about how you're going to build the canoe and what it's going to look like. But when you're paying back. That's depressing as hell. I mean, there's nothing exciting about that. You're just paying for something that you've already yeah, used yeah. and maybe it's already old now and worn out. I, I don't know how, you know, it depends what it is. But but when you're paying back... When you, That's true as well. When you make that final payment on a car, the the shine is gone in a in a big way off that car and it, it it's not exciting anymore. It's, it's very discouraging and depressing. 
Yeah, that, that's true. Like you're when you're saving, you're building up the excitement to that purchase to like to your savings goal. Like, yeah, that's true. That's true. Because it's almost like um like I'm just picturing like climbing Mount Everest. Like if if you're gonna climb Mount Everest, you're gonna train. You're gonna work your way up slowly. And instead of like going up there and killing yourself because you you didn't train and then coming back down and and then having to deal with the consequences of not training. Like like it. It makes more sense to to train ahead of time rather than you know be sick afterwards. Yeah, no, that's a good example. So let's move on to step number three here. Step number. Th- I, I I just I just want to say one more thing about the debt symbol. So one of the things is tr- if you have a lot of debt, it's hard to stay motivated, right? It's it's really hard to. It's easy to fall off the rails. Well, in this Dave Ramsey thing, I mentioned he has a podcast you can download and listen to. If you listen, yeah, it's a three hour show, and it it's five days a week, and. It, if you listen to that every day or a couple times a week, it, it helps keep you motivated and it helps normalize what you're doing. And I, I think if you read his book and you listen to his podcast, I think it's almost impossible to not stay on the rails and stay on the plan. So it, a lot of times the debt snowball falls apart because you lose motivation. You surround yourself with people who like to rack up debt or spend money that you don't have. So staying motivated you need you need to listen to that coach all the time. Maybe reread the book, uh, things like that. So I, I think that's important as well. I, I I really like that, Trevor, because I think like we always say here, we we created this podcast. We like to be involved in the kind of the personal finance realm because I think there there's a there's a great it is it's a great community. I think we have we're surrounded by so many the the listeners who join us the peop, the listeners who write in with to us. I think it's a fantastic community and I I'm I don't know about you guys but I'm happy to be part of a community that's moving kind of in 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 the similar direction. Well, and what we're trying to do is normalize living within your means. You know, that that's really the message I I I want to send. And if you surround yourself with with people spending be, living beyond their means that starts to look normal you, you you start to feel inadequate or you know that you're not living up to societal expectations but living within your means i think is the key it's just crazy just that that it's not normal it, that living within your means is not this thing that people are are expected you think it'd be the opposite you think everyone would live inside their within their means and then the odd person be the person who has the the credit card debt and, and kind of the large the other large consumer debt we, we almost need to redefine the the term uh keeping up with the joneses as as keeping up with the joneses is is living within your financial means and we, we live in a society of more right from for the most part everybody wants more and, and more is not always better we need to pull the quote of the minimalist. Now imagine a world with less. <laughs> yes. Yes. So let's move to step number three here. So step number three is create a fully funded emergency fund equal to six equal to six months of expenses. Mike said you need to track your expenses first. So you can't even begin to develop an emergency fund of six months of expenses if you don't even know what they are. So you, you step zero is have a, a documented uh, document your spending and develop a budget. So then you know how much of emergency fund you need. And the whole purpose of an emergency fund is it's not, it's in the event of a job loss. That's the whole purpose of an emergency fund is if you were to lose your job, hopefully you could find one in six months. So if you have that much saved up in mandatory expenses, not discretionary, then I think you would feel pretty safe and pretty invincible. I do want to note here that I mean, Trevor, what do you think in Mike? What do you what do you think the time period is between kind of step two and three, even one and two? I mean, there probably is a 
a lesser amount of time between one and two, but I mean, two and three might be, might be years. Well, I think they're happening simultaneously. So you're paying down debt and building an emergency fund at the same time. Uh, I've read the book. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Like you're, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. You're you're dividing your eggs within w- w- between the multiple yeah, baskets. I, I think you got to yeah, you got to yeah. be working on building up that emergency fund in the event of a job loss. So step number four here is invest fifteen percent of your gross income into retirement savings. So I've read the book, and he says to stop all retirement savings until you have extinguished all of your your consumer debt, all your debt, excluding your home. I really disagree with this step. So I think, and I disagree from this standpoint. So for I work, I get an employer match. So if I contribute toward my pension, my employer matches. If I don't contribute, my employer doesn't match. I'm leaving money on the table. I'm giving, a, I'm giving, I'm walking away from free money. So that's the only disagreement I have is, is I get that getting debt out of your life changes your behavior and how you spend money. So, and you should get that debt out of your life as fast as possible and put all your resources toward it. So I get that's why he's suggesting this, but the only caveat I would give is you, you cannot leave free money on the table if you have a workplace pension plan where your employer matches your contribution. So let's uh, move on to number five. Number five is fund some portion of your child's college education. This is a, a philosophy of mine. I think as a parent, it is your responsibility to prepare your children for the world that they are going to try to survive in and educating them, I, I think is paramount. And I, I am, if you don't fund your child's education, you, you're let, you're setting them to start out life with debt. And, and I think that is given you can afford to, I, obviously you're not going to forego food to fund an education, but I, I truly believe that funding your child's education as a parent is a responsibility you should bear just for the sole purpose of, of not having your child start life with debt. Like, could you imagine if you guys started out life with a negative net worth? Well, I was, I was going to kind of do that is, is the, the flip side of the coin from the, the, the kid's perspective. So I, I recently graduated from university and my parents helped me out quite substantially with paying for school. And uh, so I, I got out of school, no debt, and right away, I, I'm, I, I, my income is going towards sa- my savings goals. It's going towards uh, putting into RRSPs. It, like uh, right away, I, I'm, I'm comfortably being able to get ahead, and, and I, I'm able to build up an emergency fund like that. And like, so it's just so freeing, and it, it's this huge burden just lifted off your chest. It's, I, I think it's, it's it, from a, uh, from the child's point of view, I think it's, it's important for parents to do it. And, and what happens is. You st- just say you start out with $40,000 student debt. Well, a little bit more debt, well, what's it matter, right? That's the mindset. Like, what's a little bit more debt going to matter to $40,000? Right from day one of being working in the, the professional world, you, you're already desensitized to, to debt. Yeah, so it's so damaging. And so, uh, you know, parents will put, you know, great efforts into not exposing their children to television at a young age and, and all sorts of things like that to not develop bad habits. Well, to say, here you go, uh, I hope it works out for you. And here's $40,000 of debt, you know, that, that you have to manage when you're just learning about personal finance to start with. That's true. That's true. Like you think of all the things parents are trying to keep their, 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 their kids away from that. That should be one of the primary focuses. That's a good point. I've never thought about it that way. So moving on to number six, it is pay off the mor- the home mortgage. We did a show on a, the 15 year mortgage. And again, I, I put this caveat, it doesn't, qualify for any of Canada's most expensive real estate cities like Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, 
sometimes Calgary. So uh, I'm saying uh, a 15 year mortgage that that should be your goal for paying off the home mortgage. It, it, it is a game changer. It will help you on a road to building wealth and retiring early. If you have any aspirations of financial independence early in life, a 15 year mortgage is a must. So I agree with step six. It's got to be on the steps to getting getting out of debt. You know, it's something you you have to you. So a lot of people get a mortgage and they just think, oh, I'll have this forever, right? And they just they actually retire with mortgages. So I think it has like the mindset has to be, I'm going to pay this off. I feel like I'd be tough trying to to retire with a mortgage. Like how how do you even finish paying that off if if you're retired you're not getting any income i guess like your pension is going towards paying it still yeah like, that, that 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 seems like a burden like 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 when you say oh you know like i'm done working and and you're still like i got that stress that burden on your mind you're, you're not really freed at that point you know i i know enough retired people with mortgages that it's mind-blowing and, and it, it's literally like because I mean, you know they have mortgage because they're talking about interest rates right they'll talk about if they're concerned about interest rates i i know they have a more i don't have to ask them we just you know, they'll say, can you believe interest rates are going up again? You know, when somebody says that they have a mortgage, right? It's because it, if you true. don't, you're saying, wow, interest rates are going up again. You know, you're saying it with excitement instead of, you know, disappointment. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they, that's true. It, it's an easy one. It's a telltale sign. I, I look for all the time. So, but, but what, if, but what if someone has kind of made a previous decision before they, a while ago, obviously when they bought their home, maybe they bought a too big of a home and and they're paying for it now. I mean, is there is there any other way that thing kind of helps speed this process up? Or a lot of people do buy more house than they need, or they they don't downsize when they should. You created the life you're living now. You, you and if it's not working out, create a life that is going to work out. And a house being your most your biggest expense, create a life that that you can work with. So uh, so many people, it's almost a so people don't want to downsize. It's it's a point of embarrassment. If they lived in a, an extremely fancy house in a very expensive neighborhood, for you know, and finally they're going to retire and they can't afford to pay this off, and the only way they're going to retire is by you know selling it and moving to maybe a, a less desirable neighborhood that's kind of a, a kick in the pants and they don't want to do it. And so, you know, check your pride or your ego at the door, and just do the right thing to to be financially sound. What do you think of instead of having to worry about housing and stuff, retired people renting instead? Like, like I'm just thinking, cause I know we always say like when you're young and you don't have any dependents, renting's a good idea. And when, when you have a family and you have dependents, buying's a good idea. So then it, d- does it make more financial sense? Cause you're going to downsize and whatnot that you should be looking at renting. So re- renting, it, so long you can pay your rent with your passive income sources, be it pensions or, uh, RRSPs or, or annuities, whatever you have. So long you can pay your rent with your passive income, then yeah, it, it might make sense for people. Yeah. Particularly if if you're retired and you you don't want to be, uh, you maybe you want to do some traveling and you don't want to be tied down to a house that needs maintenance and constantly, you know, being watched and burdening your family with those things. So sometimes renting, where you just you know lock the door and off you go, right? You don't have to worry about it. So uh, renting makes a lot of sense for a, uh, for in retirement, in my mind. So the very last step here is build wealth by invest, investing a significant amount of your income once you have no debt at all. So this one is where a lot of people fall down. So a lot of people become empty nesters and they have all this disposable income that they didn't. So that the kids have moved out, education's paid for, they've graduated and, and just say their mortgage is paid off and they have all this disposable income that they, they dreamed about their whole life. 
and now they they just start spending it on, on just meaningless, senseless stuff. You know, they run out and get a, they're shopping there, and they they're buying bigger TVs every six months, and they're they're you know, uh, renovating their home beyond you know reasonableness. And what you should be doing if you want financial independence is investing that money for retirement, not spending it. So this is your chance to catch up on on all the, you know, if you weren't maxing out your RSP every year, this is your chance to catch up on that and get that money saved. So I, I know you guys are kind of young and you, you couldn't imagine, you know, that world. Well, actually, I was going to say, I, th- I think when you're young, like you, you end up, because you don't have any dependents, you don't have much uh, financial obligations. Like, I think you, like, that's a time as well to, to invest. It was like, I think it's a good chance to to build wealth while you're young and get ahead. It is, but you generally, you know, you're you're being paid the most you're ever going to make just before you retire. So your income is actually at its peak. That's true. That's and true, when yeah. you start working, your income is probably as low as it's ever going to be. So you're 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 right. You should be investing then, but your needs tend to be higher. Like the the things you need to set your life up, right? So, but when you're an empty nester and you're, you know, ten years from retirement, you generally are making the most money you're ever going to make, and you have the lowest expenses you're ever going to have. So what an opportunity. And most people, they, they miss this opportunity. They just, they blow it right here. Is there ever, I was just thinking about that, because like they, they come to empty nesters and, or they retire and, and, and they start spending a bunch of money. I, I got to imagine there's a lot of situations of people where they start spending more aggressively than maybe they had planned and then they got to go back to work. And that, that would be real, real demotivating. Oh, like, that, like you, very discouraging. Mm-hmm. But you know, you know, one thing, one problem just say you you have all this disposable income and just say you start paying the kid down the street to cut your grass and another kid to shovel your snow and you can start getting appetite for riding you know six thousand dollar bicycles and, and, and driving forty thousand dollar cars that becomes the new normal try sustaining that when you retire it becomes very difficult so to your point mike you start getting an appetite for these high-end things like granite countertops and stainless steel appliances if that becomes the new normal for you, retirement may, you may have to push it out even further because that lifestyle you've become accustomed to becomes impossible to fund in retirement. I was going to say, and I think it goes back to um, when, before you, become, you retire and, and before you become an empty nester and you have that extra income, when when you are living on a, a more frugal lifestyle is, is instead of looking at it as sacrifices, I think you should embrace that lifestyle because obviously living that 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 um simpler lifestyle that's getting you er, to retirement earlier that's what's going to carry you through like retirement so i think i think that's like the the key is 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 if you're just sacrificing to get to retirement then it, you're it's going to fall through is is you got to kind of uh train yourself for that that point that to to learn and and embrace that that simpler lifestyle if you just say you got to empty nest stage without any debt you had to flex your frugal muscle so much to get there that if you're going to just take all that conditioning and all that strategy and learning you did and throw it out the window to live this extravagant lifestyle when you're an empty nester, you're setting yourself up for so much failure. You're going to end up putting yourself in circles of, of, of social circles of, of people who are spending way beyond what you could afford to spend in retirement. It is just disaster. It's, it's, and so if you did all these baby steps that we talked about and you got to seven and you didn't do that one, it, none of the other steps were even worth it, right? You wasted your time. So I, I think this is probably, okay, from my perspective and my age, this is the the critical point where things could go right or could go horribly wrong 
are, are incredibly right. So I, I do want to kind of move, kind of switch paths and talk about another kind of article from Chan Han. And it's actually entitled Five Ways I Disagree with Dave Ramsey. So we kind of went over the seven steps, but another kind of really interesting article is kind of ways in which Trenham disagrees with, again, w- what kind of Dave Ramsey kind of propagates. So there's, the first one here is uh, a 12% annual rate of return in stocks is not realistic. So Trevor, do you kind so, of want to talk, yeah, talk a little bit about this one? Yeah. So if you read his book or you listen to his podcast, he, he, he always says, you know, you should be able to get 12% return on your, on your investments. And I, I think it, it is realistic I mean, it, it, 12 is kind of at the high end, but if you went into, this is not an investing podcast, I'll put that disclaimer out there, but if you went into an index fund, I think you could probably get 8 or 9%, you know, uh, on average. The problem is there's going to be peaks and valleys, right? And if you're looking in a small window of time, then that might not be the case, right? But if you're looking over the, the, period, the course of 30 years, I think 12% is a little on the high side. I, I would probably be a little more comfortable saying eight or nine percent so i would agree with his claim here the next one here is and i really like this point um so personal responsibility is the problem not credit cards dave always says that um credit cards are that you should not have credit cards in your life and that the credit cards are, are the problem but Trenham argues this i agree well, with no that. do you guys use credit cards I, I do I, I use a credit card do you guys have credit card problems like debt no. No, no. See, like that—that's where I think it, it's it's the person who's who's holding it. It's it's all the self-discipline. Eh? I think it's the I want it now mentality that needs to change, right? It's not the credit card. Try buying something on Amazon without a credit card. I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's really hard. Try reserving a hotel room without a credit card. Credit cards—you're protected by fraud. I mean, they're a fabulous tool. I I I can't remember the last time I used cash. It's almost it's almost like you have to kind of look inward and place some responsibility on yourself. I mean, you can't look around and and, and try to kind of eliminate everything else around you that that are that, that's kind of contributing to a problem. You kind of take responsibility yourself. So in Dave Ramsey's book, he talks about an envelope system, and this is where you have an envelope for every category in your budget, and you fill it with cash. And when that envelope's empty, so say you have a dining out envelope. And you have a dining it out category in your budget. When that envelope's empty, well, there's no more dining out that month. You know, you spent it all. Maybe you've got uh, a category for Bluetooth earbuds. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I don't know how often you buy them. I tend to buy them a lot. And when that envelope's empty, there's no more Bluetooth earbuds, right? So, so that's that's his philosophy. And also, if you're saving, if you have a saving goal for something, you save it in cash. And say you're going to buy an iPhone. <laughs> Could be. When that iPhone has enough cash in it to buy the iphone well then you that's when you can get it not any sooner so i like i'm glad i got the apple reference in when i did <laughs> i was afraid we wouldn't get it in not sponsored by <laughs> apple <laughs> so i think spending cash is just it, it's inconvenient and difficult i think fix i think that's the old it, way it like is that's, it's just old old-fashioned like because like I, I get the whole point that it, it's supposed to be like a physical visual thing you can see how your money's being divided but but then like I don't know if you get out of debt, are you going to keep doing that? Like, I exactly. think the, the, it, it's, it, it's easier to do it with like getting the habit with electronic stuff, like make a budget, like have that laid out so you can see it visually, like, like that way visually on, on your computer. And you stuff. have to learn to develop like, the discipline to do it in modern payment technology. So if you can't just, just say you, you couldn't handle cash either and you had to revert back even further to the barter system. 
you know, if, if you if, yeah. <laughs> if you said, here's a couple of chickens, you know, can I have, uh, <laughs> I'd like to buy this bicycle, right? <laughs> you you, you, you got to stay with the times. You, you've got to learn to manage credit cards in today's world. It's just a fact of life. And actually, that's true as well, because I'm thinking... Even like um, credit cards, like not having credit cards, that's an, I think an old way of doing things because now everything, like you said before, is online. Like you go back 20 years ago, credit cards, I assume, weren't as popular because there wasn't as many online purchases. Like it wasn't as necessary. Exactly. I, I, whereas now everything's online. So it, it's almost like, you know, going on a diet and eating all this, this uh, Weight Watchers food. And then when you're, you've, you've reached your goal... Then you go back and shop for regular food, right? You're going to fall off the rails. So I think you need to figure out how to survive in a world using credit cards responsibly. Because I, I think maybe things that are we that we fear, things that kind of make us nervous, I think instead of running away from them or, or pretending they don't exist, I think it's good to kind of face our fears and face things that make us uncomfortable. So the next point here within... Uh, the Trenhan's article on ways he disagrees with Dave Ramsey is he says here that a thousand dollar emergency fund is enough if you're paying off credit card debt. So he's saying don't go to the fully funded emergency fund, you know, get your credit card debt paid down first. So he's saying, so I'm going to disagree with him because one thing, if you're doing the debts, just say you have $40,000 in credit card debt with one particular credit card. Uh, That's highly unlikely. Say you had $15,000. He's saying don't build a fully funded six-month emergency fund until you have your your credit cards with twenty eight percent interest paid off first. I think you gotta you gotta you gotta work like multitask. Like I, I don't think you should do one thing at a time. I yeah, I think you have to be constantly building that emergency fund, fully funded emergency fund, in the event of a job loss, because that's really what it represents. I, I think you need to be working at that all the time, no matter what your financial scenario is. You need to, in some ways, you like you, one of your. I'll call it like one of your debts should almost be your emergency fund. Like you're, you, that, that, it's almost another credit card you're trying to pay off. If you don't have an emergency like, fund, you kind of are in debt. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. It's so that the, the event hasn't happened yet. It's gonna happen. You just don't know when. So it's it's yeah, a debt hanging out there. It's Murphy's law. Murphy's debt. Yeah, so if that does happen, then you're further in debt. So like, yeah, you should just be building that up slowly because then that's just another debt you'd have to pay off. So I, I, yeah, I agree with and that. And I want to say when you have an emergency fund, a fully funded six-month emergency fund, you sleep completely, like you sleep harder than, than you did before you, you had one. I, I, sleep comes at a whole other level when you have that security. And, and, and maybe I guess that's why the emergency fund is the first step, even the $1,000 emergency fund is because... You, you, you even feel a little bit better that you have a thousand dollars and that I think that might kind of prove to yourself that you're capable of saving uh, amount of money or you're capable of putting a, a large sum of money in one place and, and and that could apply towards paying off your debts as well like you're good you, you proved yourself that you have the ability to do that you know to your point it, it, it actually builds discipline to actually have money in a savings account that you're not spending you know, yeah. think of the discipline. If you lived on in a world of debt, if you're able to build up an emergency fund and just leave it there for emergencies, think of the discipline you would have to develop to do that. Because, if you never did it before. Yeah, because I mean, it, and certain individuals could kind of consume all the amount of free income that they have, plus more if they ever do have. That's may how they operate. So this could be a whole kind of mental shift that they have to get used to. Now, one thing we didn't touch on is you you have to 
you know, I think you have to define emergencies before you have an emergency fund. Yeah, I know. That's that's a great point, Trevor. Because yeah, like yeah. Christmas is not an emergency, <laughs> you know? And if every time your car needs brakes, if that's an emergency, then, you, you know, brakes should never be a surprise, right? They tend to wear out. So do tires. So that's true. Those that's can't true. be. So so what are we defining well, as an emergency? And like your, your uh, hydro bill can't be an emergency, right? So. But, I think but emergencies but blue, are, Bluetooth headphones are an emergency though, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you lose one of those bad boys, you need to get out there yeah. right away, get a new one. I, I think an emergency fund, it has to come, it has to be an extra, extraordinary expense that you, you don't normally you I, see. I don't, like it's an, and I don't, it's hard to plan for. Like, it's not something that you can say it's going to happen in two months and three but you guys, months. And you can't, there can I, be no vision. But I think we should say that. I think it is unfortunately usually a negative thing as well. I mean, if you're, if your friends, if it's Thursday and your friends spring on you, oh, we're going on a weekend trip um, to, the, to the X, Y, and Z for the weekend. Uh, do, do you want to come? I don't think that counts as emergency. Yeah, so you're right. That's an unforeseen event, but it's not an emergency. I, I think it's, it's, for, so here's an emergency for me. It it meets my survive. It has to be one of my survival needs. So, uh, housing, transportation, food, and and Bluetooth and headphones. Bluetooth headphones. <laughs> and I could not foresee it coming. You know, there's there's no way I could have yeah. seen this. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I agree. With when that. fridges stop working, they generally give you no hint that they're going to stop working. You know, like, the, or a lot of times a washer will give you, you know, very little window of it's going to stop working. So generally appliances, they, they somewhat, or here's one, a furnace. Okay. I, I, I don't spend a lot of time beside my furnace to listen to noises it's making. And, you know, it, I, I turn the thermostat on, I'm either getting heat or I'm not. If my furnace stops working in January, that's an emergency. Would you not argue then that you should have kind of a home that should be another kind of part of your budget is kind of the... Or I guess at so, this point, you're only going to kind of, you might not have enough uh, money to, to create kind of an, a general emergency fund and then also yeah. emergency fund for your home. Well, yeah, you're talking about a proactive maintenance fund, maybe. And, and yes. that's, that's like a high end financial planning. I, I'll give you, the, but you know, I've recently put a new furnace in and my previous furnace lasted about 30 years. And now I hear people saying these new furnaces, because there's so much technology and they don't last as, as long, I'm yet to hear how long. So I, I think I'd be wrong to guess I don't need one for the next 30 years. I, I might need one in the next 20 years, the next 15 years. I, I don't know. So that's, that's kind of a, an unknown for me, right? So I, I'm, whereas my roof, I can see when my shingles are starting to get old. That, that should never be a surprise. So I, I think before you build your emergency fund, you, you need to define it. So the next point within this list is growth mutual funds are not the be-all end-all of investments. Again, I've said this already once in this podcast, we are not an investing podcast, but I have read the book, The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. I highly recommend it to everybody, and I am a huge fan of index funds. They are, are low-fee investments. Dave Ramsey, I've read, again, I read his book, and he, he's all about mutual funds that the ones he suggests tend to have higher fees, which eat away at your, mar you know, your return. So if you're getting twelve percent, but you're paying two percent 
uh, in management fees, you know, you're only getting 10%. And uh, just while we're on the topic of rec- book recommendations, uh, I, I just want to say thank you to Nathan who wrote into us um, on our contact submission forum and, and, and asked about our recommended reading book list that we kind of talked about a while ago when we, um, I, I can't remember exactly when we talked about it. We talked about kind of adding a, a menu to our website where we kind of put all the books that we talk about, all the kind of the resources um, to read and listen to that we kind of talk about here on the podcast. So thank you, Nathan, for bringing that back up. We are going to start that. And um, if you have any good book recommendations, what kind of, we can always start a section on that kind of, on that part of the website where we have kind of our recommendations and then recommendations from you as well that you would recommend to kind of other listeners to listen to and, and for us to read and, and listen to as well. So to, to keep moving on. So the last point here is do not cut your retirement savings during the initial push to pay off debt. I'm going to agree and disagree with this. So I'm going to disagree in that. I said earlier, if you have an, uh, a p- sort of an employer pension plan where you make a contribution and your employer matches, I think you have to do that. You cannot leave money on the table. But I will say that getting debt out of your life changes how you handle money. And so trying to pay off debt and, and build a retirement fund at the same time, if you can get the debt paid off in a relatively small window of time, this is excluding your home, it will change your, your view of money and how you use money, how you spend money. You'll become a better saver a less, you know, and focus less on paying things back. So I, I think other than the, the employer match on company pension plans, I think you should stop retirement savings to get debt out of your life. Do you think that is what one would kind of initially think as well? Well, no, I think a lot of people would think, you know, what about the, the, the you know, in, invest, you know, the compound compounding effect of, of, you know, putting money away at a young age and it, it grows over time. Uh, you know, so mathematically that makes a lot of sense. But if you're racking up debt just as fast be, because you have debt in your life and a little bit more debt doesn't matter, I, I think you're, you're probably just, you know, treading water. You know, you're not really getting ahead. You're you're building a retirement fund, but you're, you're spending it, you know, just as fast racking up debt. So, you, you know, your net worth hasn't changed. Well, also, I, th- I think if um if if you're paying off debt and, and then you're also trying to save for retirement, you're putting less into the that retirement fund, so you're gonna get less of that compounding effect. So I, I think, like, like we were saying before, if you spearhead your you're paying off your debt and you get that paid off super quick, then you're you can start putting more aggressive amounts away towards your your um your retirement plan, and then you'll uh, the compounding effect will end up working its way out where chances are if you started saving when you still had debt versus after you might end up at the same amount of savings at the end of the day and i agree with that only if you go at the debt extinguish your debt with a gazelle like intensity right like that that super like you said spearhead focus if you're just paying off your debt at at a very leisurely pace it, it may not you know your retirement plans may be impacted right so you have to go at this debt like it's like it's on fire, like it's a problem. Which is well, I think I think that's something that uh, I, I don't think is associated with because we always talk about retirement savings plans specifically. Is I think your debt and how you pay off your debt is is part of that retirement savings plan. Like that that like that those two go hand in hand. True. Yeah. Because like, like like you said, if, if you're not rushing to pay like pay off your debt, then chances are you're probably not rushing to save money, and and you're just not really rushing to get to retirement. Then like I think you you got to come in like you said with that spearheading it or like gazelle. You probably that. don't have a lot of 
urgency in your life in general, like, which is maybe not a good thing. So that really brings us to the end of our two articles on um, kind of reviewing kind of Dave Ramsey's philosophies and, and, and kind of the the things he propagates. And I think it's been a really good kind of discussion around that. But before we kind of end the show, do, you two, uh, do either of you two have any kind of final thoughts or takeaways? So I want to say that, you know, if you have debt in your life, that, that is an emergency. That is a financial emergency that needs to be addressed. It's not just something you should be okay with. Consumer debt is an emergency. And so we've given this nice, convenient name to consumer debt, which is really just uh, an accumulation of bad lifestyle choices. And if you have consumer debt in your life, you should be in a state of emergency to get it out. And if, if you need a coach, and you probably do, reading The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey is a great start. So on that note, that brings us to the end of today's episode on uh, reviewing kind of Dave Ramsey's philosophy. Thank you so much, everyone, who uh, joined with that, joined into their conversation today. Um, definitely check out our livelifesimple.ca. Um, with the next few days, we'll have our book list up there. We'll kind of start it with some of Trevor's and, and myself's and Michael's kind of in- books that kind of inspire us and motivate us. And uh, definitely, if you have any comments with the show or any kind of topics you want us to discuss, you can always send us an email at livelifesimple365 at gmail.com or head over to livelifesimple.ca. We have a contact submission form. Leave anything and everything there, and uh, we will definitely get to and address it on uh, either upcoming listener Q&A episodes or, d- or dedicate a whole show to kind of discussing that. So on that note, thank you again for joining us, and we really look forward to having you back here next week with a new episode. Until then, keep it simple. Keep it simple.